0: Hey, welcome everybody. Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Today we are uh, addressing going from superiority to submission. Um, That's a big trigger word, especially in the church. Submission has been thrown around in a lot of different contexts and a lot of different ways. Um, But primarily we are going to be addressing uh, leadership. And so let's just jump right into the verse to help set the trajectory for this. Um, Because we want to. Uh, if you are a leader, if you're ever going to lead, uh, we want to set the context right, especially for this. Here's, and we start off First Peter chapter 5 verse 1. So let's just pause right there in that first word. Uh, this is building off of everything that's been said previous. And so I especially want to uh, encourage you to go back, listen to Jamie's sermon uh, last week if you missed it because it it sets the context of suffering and when you're suffering, how to think about it as you go through it. Um, And uh, because here's the truth, the the cultural issues that we're all going through uh, in in that day and in this day, they might get worse. And for them, it did get worse. Uh, think about back to this part of 1 Peter, where he says, the coming fiery trials, right? And so, um, in 64 AD, there was this godless emperor named Nero, uh, <clears throat> and the, the Roman Empire was starting to self-destruct, right? So, Guess what? Even Rome caught fire. Like the city of Rome, the crown jewel of the Empire of Rome was was burning, and it burned for five days while Nero was off partying somewhere else. Um, and what did he do? He blamed the Christians for starting the fire. Say, so oh, that that group over there. They 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 talk a lot about this, you know hell, it it has fire and flames and all this. And so it's probably the Christians that did it because they're crazy and all that. And so you can imagine what happened after uh, Rome was turned against the Christians. It did not go well for the Christians. In fact, um, they, uh, they started rounding them up uh, doing all sorts of horrible things to them, uh, like strapping them up in their dinner parties and lighting them on fire as kind of a party trick or party favor. So it was not good. And <clears throat> and so um, state-sponsored execution was definitely uh, coming to this church. Um, and so That it it may even, Peter, this hadn't happened yet, uh, we don't think, but it may even be that Peter is prophesying a literal fiery trial that is coming because of the fires that were coming in Rome. Um, But nevertheless, whether it is spiritually a fiery trial or literally a fiery trial, there will be trials nonetheless. And and so um, let's ask ourselves this. uh, Are we too scared to talk to our friends about Jesus? um, let's just look at, let's just look at this context. It's not going to be that bad. It's not going to get, hopefully, as bad as that. Um, in some places in the world, uh, it is as bad as that, but here in Toronto, it's not as bad as that. Um, okay, and this thing too, why did he write 2 Peter? Why did he write 2 Peter? Because, things did in fact get worse. So not only did they have the suffering they were going through, but now these false teachers were starting to infiltrate the church. And so they weren't just suffering, they were infiltrated and now being the message, the the truth of what uh, their community was, was now being twisted and people were being led astray. Um, so the cultural context back then is bad government that's getting worse. It was bad economy with the upheaval of Rome that was getting worse. There was bad social climate that would then later on get worse. There was political upheaval, looting and rioting in the streets. <clears throat> there was social, economic upheaval, there was raci- racist uh, engagements happening. And so the context of, of First Peter is not so different from the context that we find ourselves in today. <clears throat> he continues on, "So I exhort the elders among you. And this is our specific target audience um, for this section. Of this letter, uh, I exhort the elders among you. So we we can we see here he's like taking them aside and saying uh, and and giving them a little pep talk, a little like, hey, this is for you leaders. Let's just get let's just get in there. Let's have some one-on-one time. And others are kind of they get the chance to listen in on what this little leadership powwow is all about. Um, and so so here's here's the audience right for those of you who do lead things currently. Uh, this is for your encouragement and edification. For those who don't lead anything right now, you can get a little look into a leader's perspective. And so that should hopefully be really valuable to you if you don't lead anything or feel like you lead anything right now. Um, or for those of you who don't lead, also to grow. This is a chance, hopefully today, maybe the Holy Spirit is going to grow a desire in you to lead. How cool would that be? Um, and you uh, and the reason I say that is because the, the need for leaders is great right now, right? You, you, can, you can see the, the, the context of 1 Peter is not much different from our own. And in times like that, and I think this is why Peter addresses the leaders in particular, because the need for leadership amongst these types of trials is great. We need people to take responsibility and initiative for their communities. And there may be no greater time than this for us younger generations to step up and take on the mantle of leadership to continue to lead the next generations after us well because of what we're going through uh, as a society right now. So he goes on. As a fellow elder, so let's say this in full, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So he's, he's one of them. He's saying, I'm with you. I lead too. I've gone first. And this is, this, is, this is really helpful, hopefully for you if you're a leader, that oftentimes you will go through something first. The leaders will go through something first, whether it's personally or organizationally. Uh, they will go through it first because God wants them to bring people along with them into it, or pass that along to uh, to the people that they lead. Uh, it also shows that in the church we have uh, we have this kind of singular headship and plurality of leaders, right? And so this one guy, Peter, he is uh, he is. In apostolic authority over a region of leaders, right? So he's addressing them as the head uh, of, of uh, the head for their for the that this region of churches. Um, but there are other leaders, and they all lead together as an elder. They all share this responsibility, but he takes primary responsibility and initiative to make sure that he leads these leaders as well. <clears throat> We see this in the Trinity. God the Father, primary head, takes leadership over ascending the Son and the Spirit in the Trinity. So our God, singular headship, but a plurality of leaders, right? The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us. Jesus is our chief shepherd, as we'll find out at the end of this passage. This also happens in families. There's a plurality of leaders, right? You have a dad and a mom, and they lead the kids and the family together and they make decisions, financial decisions, uh, logistical decisions, relational decisions, all for the family and they do it together and it's a really beautiful thing. We see this in the global church and also the local church. And for us as Trinity Life, Uh, As a local church, we are trying to decentralize more and more and more to see more of you take initiative and responsibility for your community and your neighbors so that we can have a plurality of leaders, a plurality of elders, right? I exhort the elders among you. In your church and in the church, there should be a plurality of people, a multitude of people who are taking initiative and responsibility for their communities, and you see this in a couple different ways, and where we're trying to go with this is we see organizational support, right? These are the elders, overseers, as they're also called, right? They, they make organizational decisions. They help uh, make decisions that will impact the, the larger group, and they give support and they equip, much like what Peter is doing. And then we also have relational leaders, shepher- shepherds right? Uh, as he'll say in a moment. Um, and so for us, that's our, our three leaders, right? They know you, they care for you, they they build you up, they guide you directly, they know you more personally. So we have organizational support and we have relational leaders. And this is where we're trying to go as a church um, to, to help grow this plurality of leaders among us. Um, and so Peter's then uh, He's also, in a big way, uh, as this organizational support, um, trying to maintain their DNA, right? So this is who we are, this is what's in us. And we've seen that, this whole series is about that. And so if you're just tuning in now for the first time, do go back, start from the beginning and work your way through. He continues on. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is coming, that is going, rather, to be revealed. This is maybe my, this is the part that I find most encouraging right here. This is Peter giving you his leadership resume, almost, as it were. He says, he "says as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so he, this takes me right back to that place where Peter is alongside Jesus and uh, and Jesus tells him, hey, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I won't. No, I won't. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to remain strong. I'm going to be faithful and true because you're Christ the Messiah. I know it. He declares it out, right? But of course, we know the ending of that story. How did it go down? In Jesus' greatest moment of need, Peter denies him not once, not twice, three times. And I believe it was the third time he denies him to a 16-year-old girl. This is a grown man. Why is he worried about what this girl thinks? Not that there's anything wrong with 16-year-old girls, but I'm just saying, he should have been secure in his identity, right? And so Peter, I think here, as he's Witnessed the sufferings of Christ, as he's witnessed Jesus in his darkest hours. He's witnessed Jesus getting taken in the in the middle of the night, uh, undergone uh, uh, injustice, a false trial, just a mockery of a judicial system. Ultimately, accused and sentenced to death, enduring. The, the whippings, the beatings, spitting, mockery, nailing, the crown of thorns, all the, the lashing of the cat of nine tails that ripped his body to shreds as he endured all that. He says, I am witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I think Peter is trying to help those of us who may doubt our own capacity to lead and tell us, hey, I watched Jesus suffer and I sat on the sidelines, denied him, did nothing but because of him and the glory that is to come now i can stand strong now i can stand firm because of the resurrection because of the victory that is available to me i can now instead of uh, having a limp noodle spine i can now have a a uh, uh, the scriptures call it a like it's like a tree right i think this um, this is in Isaiah somewhere. I wrote, I wrote a song about it a while ago. It's like a tree goes up your spine and you can stand firm in faith, and that is Peter. For those of us who feel like we couldn't lead, we could never lead, we can stand strong like Peter now in Christ, and the Holy Spirit can empower that for us. And so the question is, is the story over for Peter when he fails? No, it's not. And so is the story over for you as you learn to lead, as you attempt to lead people for the first time, as you experience your first failures, as you have some successes, gain a little bit of traction, maybe start to get a little bit, a little bit, ah, nice, a little puffed up, right? Ah, look how well I can do this. And then realize you're a big hypocrite, you're prideful, arrogant, you say, Adam, why are you preaching this sermon? It's like, because God has a good sense of humor. That's why. That's why I'm here for you. As another example, just like Peter, to say that there's hope for you, just like there's hope for me to stand and lead for Jesus. And all the more so because now is the time to lead because we've been through crisis and who knows whether the crisis is going to get worse or whether it's going to get better. And so now is the time to take up that mantle and now is the time to lead, right? And so for those of us, what do we do? You have to bring those failures to Jesus. You have to bring those doubts. You have to bring those insecurities to the Lord. For some of you, it's actually going to be like this. You're going to be like Peter. God will have called you to be a pillar in the church, to be a disciple, a follower of him. And it's led you to inactivity. And some of you folks who really like process, you really like scheduling, you really like predictability, you really like, like it's been a struggle this year, hasn't it? It's been a big struggle. And so you find yourself, instead of trying to pivot all the time because that drives you crazy because you need your plan and you need your plan to execute, you say, I'm just not going to plan anymore and I'm just not going to do anything. And so you may have to bring your inactivity to Jesus and he will restore you and train you for what's next and what is required of a leader through crisis. And here's the truth for Peter, for me, for you, Jesus loves us. Jesus loved him. And he comes to Peter afterwards, after he's denied him and he restores him and tells him to feed his sheep that his task then knowing that crisis is coming knowing the failures that has been his past he tells him to feed his sheep to be a shepherd that's beautiful And that is what God does. That is who our God is. He puts our sin as far as the east is from the west. Those things can never touch. And we can walk forward in freedom. But the key, of course, is always going to be relationship with Jesus. And so for us as a church, what that means is we had to make a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but some shifts, some strategic shifts to take better care of our leaders. And so hopefully you guys are benefiting from that. And as things open up and as we get to live in the fullness of our, uh, our strategy and some of the pivots that we've made to kind of re-realize the original vision, the vision and mission that God had always given us from day one of Trinity Life Church to realize that more and more and more, and that it will be in a healthier and healthier way. So if your desire is to disciple people and make disciples, we want to equip you and we want to support you. and We want to help you, guide you, and lead you in that. Because we love you. And Jesus, like Peter, may be calling you to feed his sheep. Here we are in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, so here we have... Uh, maybe a, spe- you make, might call this a spectrum. We have relational leadership, like we mentioned before, and we have directional leadership. And some of us will tend to be more, you know, caring, the feeding, helping hurting people. Uh, and some of us are more like making plans, setting direction, right? And so some of us shepherd and some of us exercise oversight. And I think the, the beauty of a of an elder or overseer in the church is is a is a beautiful blend of these two things: somebody who is relational and somebody who also exercises oversight, right? And the main verb here is to shepherd, to care for, to feed, to protect, to help, to guide, to discipline, to rescue. <clears throat> um, it's really funny in the scripture if you look back, you know. So shepherds are are really well talked about. In the scripture, right? So, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lays me down in greed pastures, etc. Psalm 100, we are the sheep of his pasture, we are the people of his hand. Right? It's beautiful. Uh, Sheep, though, sometimes are not spoken that well of, right? Like, uh, what is it? Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. The only only times that sheep are spoken well of, I really liked uh, liked discovering this, was was when it's put in the context of having a shepherd over them, and then sheep are spoken well of. You can go explore that on your own study time. Here's a tongue-in-cheek quote from a, a philosopher about sheep, right? The existence of sheep is evidence against the theory of evolution. There is no way sheep could have survived that process. (laughs) Uh, Here's another one. Sheep do not take care of themselves. They require, over many other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. Like they always need rescuing. I saw this little video flowed by on Facebook the other day of a sheep that's like pulled out. He's rescued out of this big ditch. And he's so excited, he's leaping and bounding away, and the ditch was like a trench around a field or something um, with a fence. And the sheep's leaping and bounding, woo woo and he jumped, big jump, and he landed right back in the ditch, the exact same one, stuck in between this little wedge of a ditch. Like, I say, "Ah, Adam, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, Adam, that's you. I say, yes, Lord, that's me. Thank you for being my shepherd and rescuing me. <clears throat> and here's the thing about kind of, you know, uh, whacking on sheep a little bit is it's not to like denigrate or downgrade any, any person, right, who, who may be a sheep because we're all sheep in the flock of God. And God's not like shaming us or denigrating us. He's actually what I think um, saying here with shepherding and later you see the word flock. Uh, he's trying to raise the bar for, for the leaders, Say, this is what's required of you. This is what I need you to walk into. It's not that leaders are smart and followers are dumb. It's that leaders, we need to step up to the task at hand. Because it's a big task. It's going to require your life. Because being a shepherd is a lifestyle. Uh, so here's where we're headed, right? Right? Um, Traditional church culture, church framework type things, right? We're, we're a kingdom church. Our DNA is kingdom disciples society church, right? So, kingdom disciples engage society, and out of that arises the church. So, we start with the kingdom and trust that God will bring about the church instead of starting with church and hope we see the kingdom. So, as a kingdom minded church, uh, traditional culture uh, and maybe more church framework type folks folks to start with the church first. You know, there's kind of one person who, who oversees and is shepherd to about 150 people. And the 150 people all expect the one to kind of fulfill their needs and take care of them and hear their problems and deal with their issues and be there for their family and, uh, and provide the, the kids, uh, you know, daycare while they can sit inside and sing songs to Jesus and, and, and worship and listen to a sermon, right? So that's, that's kind of how things have been for a long time in the Western church. And this is where I think the church in the city needs to go. And that is more of us taking up this mantle of shepherding in whatever capacity God is calling you to. And so for some of you, that may seem really intimidating. And to that I would say, just go with the capacity that you're able, right? And so for some of you, that may be, you can shepherd two people, two people. And that's fine. And just get started and learn and grow and trust in the Lord as you go through all of the the experiences and and tests and uh, growing pains of learning what it's like to shepherd two people. For some of you, it may be you're ready to, your your capacity is about 10, you know, you could handle 10 people. So you could teach and lead and care for and guide 10 people to disciple other people in whatever their capacity is, whether it's two or 10 as well. and so just start trying so here's a question for you who can you shepherd who can you start leading and guiding right this is just a a reforming of the question of the of the the command of jesus to go make disciples right so as you go as you go make disciples of all nations what do you do teach them to obey commands of the chief shepherd Uh, I think this is also helpful for us, uh, maybe as a, as more Western church, not just Trinity Life specifically, but we can actually through that, right, maybe redefine what an elder is and maybe start having better conversations around eldership, um, which would actually be probably a breath of fresh air for a lot of us because we could just take a lot of people out of the, out of the equation, um, Uh, for elder because we just need people who are making disciples to become disciples and if and if we have that if we have say one person who's really taking initiative and oversight over their neighborhood and they they see ten disciples make ten disciples who then also make ten disciples. I think that person who took that initial initiative and responsibility to see that happen that might be your elder for the city. That might be your elder for the city, and so let's start with that and reframe the conversation there. Because how many of us—I uh, I didn't grow up in church, but I can imagine some of you grew up in churches where you're like, "Why is that person an elder? They don't disciple anyone. You know, they just make the rules and look grumpy." <clears throat> so, Peter continues on, in verse two. Uh, this is shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Here we are, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. I love this, right? So here's another sort of spectrum maybe. This is willingness and compulsion, each on their respective sides. So compulsion, what does compulsion look like? It's like, okay, so you lead like this. Uh, it's forced, right? You're forced to lead, you know? Um, someone has to chase you down all the time to make sure you're you're keeping up with your responsibilities uh, that are required of, of you as a leader, right? People have to talk you into doing things, right? Sometimes you say yes, compulsion. You say yes purely because there's a need, not because you're called. Uh, at Trinity Life, we have you know, an orientation process to help you if you're trying to discern what God is calling you to do, to help you discern that. And anytime we... Um, Well, hopefully, anytime um, somebody has expressed an interest to serve or to lead something, we walk them through a guided process of discernment alongside of other uh, leaders um, to help you know if you're called instead of just feeling compelled, uh, you know, and serving under compulsion, shepherding the flock under compulsion. And so I think that's that's how you navigate through the spectrum, right? From willingness or sorry, from compulsion to willingness. The the train that gets you from one end to the other is calling. Right? It's hearing and obeying. It's God, what do you want me to do? I'm open-handed. I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do, because I know this ultimately for my good, thriving, and joy, as well as for the good, thriving, and joy of other people. Right? So calling this can then lead you out of compulsion into willingness. And it says right here, right? It has to be this way because it says, willingly as God would have you. And so you don't just pick the things that are, you know, fun and flashy to do. You do the things that God would want you to do. And I could say it as confidently as this, that you will find a joy in that place if you're doing the thing that God calls you to do and you get over that hump of like the first four weeks of doing it where you're like why did I do this this is so much more work than I thought or you know the two-month mark where you're like ah that was a lot of fun but oh now there's like other better offers coming along or Oh, there's other things to do. Like this might interrupt my midweek sports, or I may have to not go home to see my family this weekend because I have to lead people. I'm responsible for people now, right? As God would have you. And this isn't because God is forcing you, like you're not under compulsion to a tyrant, but it's because He knows what's good. He knows what's good. He's a good shepherd. And so willing, this is what, what someone who's willing, this is what it might look like, right? So if compulsion is force, we're always chase, chase, getting, chasing you down, talking you into doing things, blah, blah, blah. This is willing, right? So a willing person accomplishes tasks joyfully. And when they're done those tasks, they ask for more work. And they take on more responsibility. When was the last time you did that at your workplace? Hey, boss, give me some more work to do. I love doing that last work you had for me. They innovate and create new ideas without being asked. They take initiative to see people in the organization thrive more and more and more. They don't need to be told the needs of the organization or the moment because they recognize them, because they care. Their eyes are always open because they're willing, they're open-handed. They even take on other people's responsibilities for them. When they see that they're struggling or can't fulfill them, uh, or even without being asked, just doing it because they feel like it. They're willing. And, uh, and, and any sort of uh, flaws in the system or the family or the organization that they see, it doesn't come off as criticism. They're not just criticizing. They're not just tearing down. It comes off as really helpful because they care. And because the resume has shown that they care. Right? They're not just the new guy on the scene that just starts criticizing everything, tearing everything down, tearing everything apart because they feel like it. No, their resume and their heart and their demeanor and their attitude shows that they really want to be helpful because they're bought into the mission of God and they're committed to loving and leading the people of God. And he continues on. So not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, looking to Jesus Oh, sorry, here's, here's uh, <laughs> this is not Peter continuing on. This is Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2. I'm actually going to put this on the screen for you guys. Um, so let's look to Jesus, considering I just said that. So looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, this is key for us right here when it comes to willingness versus compulsion who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because after suffering becomes uh, comes glory like we said in verse 1 pretty cool great verse so looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross that joy that's willingness not compulsion Oh boy, this is convicting for a lot of us, right? Because some, some of us, let's think about the loads that we carry. Some of us can't bear when other people don't like your ideas. That would crush you. Some of you, you can't bear failure, like we talked about before. You're worried about failing. Some of you can't bear slander, like Jamie talked about last week. And what what do we do when we reach those those situations, right? We give up, we quit on community, we quit on our calling, we quit on the mission of God. And maybe for some of you, you even quit on God entirely. You weren't nailed to a cross. You didn't shed your blood. Someone just didn't like your idea. Or maybe someone had a better perspective of the situation in you and your idea wasn't relevant. When trouble comes, or maybe even just a little bit of pressure from your schedule, from your life, do you drop everything? Or maybe does your serving turn from willingness to compulsion? It might be because what you're doing isn't from God's calling you to do it you don't serve out of a conviction that the Holy Spirit has you there where you are for a particular reason. Because those who are open-handed, God, yes, willing, as you would have, serve willingly and joyfully. Just like Jesus endured the cross, it was the joy that was set before him. And he went into that garden and he sweat over it. He sweat blood over what was before him. And the scripture said it was for his joy. Wow that's amazing. This just amazing like just want to just shout out with praise right now like let's just cut this joker off and just skip to the worship song right now so where's the hope for you? <clears throat> Jesus redeems your dispassionate heart with his passionate submission Jesus redeems your the dispassionate heart with his passionate, joyful submission. He's not going for superiority. He's going for submission. Even submitting to death on a cross. Peter continues on. So not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. At this juncture, I'd like to take a moment to address the modern church and some of our fallen leaders. And we see some of the big ones, right? We see some of the big names, the big megachurches, the big ministries with global impact and global um, reputation. Uh, Things like adultery, drunkenness, fraud, suicide, abuse. It's just some kind of disaster that's come upon, some sort of moral failure, some sort of uh, really harmful thing. Um, and I just want to say that it is evil and it is horrible and it shouldn't be happening like that. But I also want to say that stuff like that happens in small churches all the time and you never hear about it. You never hear about it. And maybe even worse things than what you hear about from the big mega churches, right? But I want us to come to this place. I want us us to, and if you have to to imagine this, like even close your eyes, imagine what it's like to lead an organization that has global impact. Like, none of us know what that's like. What if you all of a sudden had to lead, you know, if you became the CEO of Apple or the CEO of Facebook, right? How healthy would your organization remain or be if you were in charge? And if you, don't, if you don't know, if you're like, yeah, I mean, great. Yeah, maybe just ask one of your friends. Maybe ask one of your enemies. How healthy would you be if you had to deal with all that stress, weight, and responsibility? What about the leader of a country? It's really easy to bag on a leader of a country, isn't it? It's really easy to attack their character. It's really easy to hold up their mistakes. And I'm not making excuses for anyone. I'm just saying. It's tempting to do that because it's really easy because they you know, it's all over the news. You know, the mistakes seem egregious because they affect lots of people more than any decision you've ever had to make. <clears throat> How healthy would a country be that you lead? <laughs> right? I think the point here is, let's be careful. Let's be careful how we judge, make sure we're judging others with the same measure that we, we would judge ourselves first. And then after we've let the Holy Spirit do that check on us, then, then we can come to a place where we say, yeah, there, there is a lot of shameful gain in our modern churches, and it's a tragedy. And we should weep over that. We should weep over the second girlfriend. We should weep over the desire for more money. We should weep over the volunteers who are subjected to tyrannical leadership or narcissistic leadership. And this is in contrast to eagerness. Shameful gain is in contrast to eagerness. Here's a question. Would you do what you do? Would you lead for free? Would you work your job for free? And would you be excited about it? Or if the salary disappeared, if the money disappeared, would all of a sudden not be exciting anymore? Are you eager? Do you jump at the chance to lead, to make disciples? Do you jump? Are you eager to share your faith? Are you eager to take oversight in an area of ministry that God is calling you to? Are you eager to connect an organization in your neighborhood to the body of Christ to love and to serve an organization for the benefit and the common good of society? Are you eager to reply to requests from your leaders for help? Or do you just kind of ignore it and hope somebody else We'll address it. I'm horrible at communication, so I I get that, right? Eager. We need to be eager. But I do I do find myself with this contrast here, right? Shameful gain, eagerness. What what contributes to our leaders falling? What contributes to this culture? There is a big problem when CEO culture creeps into the church. I, uh, just my own personal story, I I, I met Jesus at 24 years old while I was finishing my marketing degree in Australia, Um, and God, while I was over there, uh, told me to go back to Toronto and plant a church, so that's what I did, and I came back, I, I married my wife, and we started planting this church, and it was just like, hey, let's do this thing, and I I didn't need to be a pastor, I didn't need to be, have a title, I didn't need anything like that. We were just starting a church together as a family, engaging people, they're meeting Jesus, other people are attracted to the mission, so we're all coming alongside each other doing this. And I noticed that people, um, and it's mostly came from people who grew up in church, people started to see themselves as different from me. I was no longer a brother in Christ, I I was like, I don't know what I was, it was like Frankenstein, or. Uh, it's like, all of a sudden, these weird expectations, these weird, right, people start lifting you up on this pedestal, people start, you know, um, say, saying things like, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that around you. Like, what do you mean around me? Like, uh, It's not about me, right? Aren't we just brothers and sisters in Christ? Aren't we just doing this together, right? I noticed that there's this, the there's this, this CEO culture is so subtle, right? And it, and it became isolating. Because I started wondering, oh, like, well, if you don't view me as your brother or your friend, what do you view me as? And it becomes very very isolating. And I had to work hard, actually, to maintain and keep friendships once I noticed that this started happening. And I think a lot of our leaders just get lonely and isolated. And, they, and, and then they don't have accountability or friendship. And they can't unburden. And they can't have genuine community. So we really got to figure out how do we hold each other accountable. Maybe this like decentralization, singular headship, plurality of leaders would help. Because we need less people who think they are superior or, you know, others think they're superior. We need more people to submit to the chief shepherd and to feed his sheep. Let's continue to move from superiority to submission. He continues on verse three, uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. (laughs) I found myself saying, what does domineering really mean, right? I don't think we understand domineering in Canada. This is like, you know, I feel like in Canada, just a small little breeze seems like a torrent. It's like a storm, right? Right. Uh, we start assuming too much of what's going on, and you know, we're weak-willed. We forget our relationship, and we with the with the people that love us and care for us, and are like, you know, trying to tell us what to do. You know, a little push to like, hey, try a little harder. Hey, do a little better. Right? Um, we just collapse. We're like, oh my God, how could you? How could you say that? I'm such a failure. Like, we just we just don't understand domineering And uh, You know, anybody who's a leader is automatically a bully, and like, nobody should lead, and all this stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't think we really understand it fully in Canada, but, uh, um, but either way, we do need to watch out for domineering and we do need to watch out for the CEO culture. Why? Because we aren't just building an organization. We're building a family. We're not building a family. We're growing a family we aren't just meeting deadlines, right? We're engaging people in relationship. We are shepherding the flock and setting the example not everyone can be a CEO. And so for you, set an example in your life and in your family. And let's start there. Why is this important? Um, <clears throat> let's jump to the passage a passage uh, uh, way back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture from here on out, hopefully quickly, because I know we've been doing this for a while. Let's do this. So uh, God is prophesying against the shepherds of his people. Okay? Who were, they were taking advantage of their position. Um, they were domineering. It starts with, ah, shepherds of Israel who have, been f- who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they, be, they became food for all the wild beasts. Ezekiel 34, verses uh, 2 to 5. So here's, here's what happens in domineering. You become selfish, greedy, ignorant of the rest of the group. You're in it for personal gain, right? You want the fat. You want the wool. You, want the, you, become, you let comfort be your priority, right? Ah, my wool, my fat, my nice fatty meat, right? You become ignorant of the mission. You don't go rescue anymore. Uh, the sheep that are scattered, right? You have not, the, the lost you have not sought, it says, the strayed you have not brought back. You don't go make disciples. You don't share your faith. You're forceful. You're harsh. And so what's the solution? And God gives us the solution here. Continuing on in Ezekiel 34 verses 11 to 16. And hear these words. Hear these as the words of God as they are. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them... "...into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." This is leading us into 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, this is God saying, I will do it. You will receive the unfading crown of glory for those who take on that mantle of under shepherd, to shepherd the flock of God, to set an example, to care, to feed, to love, to serve, to guide, not under compulsion, but willingly and eagerly. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's just say Jesus is the best shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus lays down his life for his friends. He feeds, he protects, he guides, and he cares. Every under-shepherd will fail someday. Every human shepherd, except for Jesus, will fail someday and to some degree because the scripture has always been pointing to the greatest shepherd, the greater shepherd of God's people. This is how he ends chapter uh, 34 of Ezekiel. It says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Jesus, Jesus comes, from the line of David. Jesus will take his place on the eternal throne of David. He has taken his place. Because Jesus is the chief sufferer. He's the chief exiled one. And Jesus is the one. that, If we come before him with open hands... We can be transformed to also be shepherds like him willing eager loving kind so let's pray god make us more like you jesus and jesus thank you that from the beginning of scriptures to the end of the scriptures the desire has always been for you to be shepherd to know us to love us feed us guide us seek after us care for us, and so may we be a church that doesn't seek superiority, but we seek to submit to you. We pray this in your good name. Amen.